0: Good morning. Hope you had an opportunity sometime this week to um, read through um, the latter part of Mark 4, starting 35, verse 35, and all through um, chapter 5. Originally, this was going to be a two-part sermon, um, but um, the Lord has decided to condense it into one. And so that's where we're coming from this morning um, I have titled this sermon, The Power and Tenderness of Jesus. Power and the Tenderness of Jesus. And what we're going to do this morning, we, like I just said, we've got some 50 verses to cover in this section of Scripture, and um, according to Mark. And basically, our, our desire this morning is we study these narratives that we want to, as always, focus our attention on Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we're going to see that Jesus um, has all power this morning. We will see he has power over nature. He has power over demons. He has power over sickness. He has power over death. He is all powerful and he controls all. And we're going to meet people who are in a hopeless condition this morning. And we will see that Jesus is the hope for the hopeless. But I also want us to notice this morning as we go through these um, narratives is how Jesus displays his character and his character comes to the forefront. Jesus will um, display his sympathy, his compassion, his tenderness. And we'll see that Jesus always made himself available. He was reachable. He was interruptible. He was personally involved. And that he was not... detached from the crowd. In fact, he pitched his tent right in the midst of the crowd. And so I want us to see these characteristics of Jesus because we should emulate them in our realm of influence that we have and in which we live. I'm reminded of John thirteen fifteen, when Jesus says, For I have given you an example that you also should do as I did to you. And so Mark, Mark's little um, book here is, is short, as we well know, of all the gospel. But, uh, you know, Mark basically is shorter on Jesus' sayings and it's longer on his discourses, uh, shorter on his discourses, but rich in his works. And so Ma- Mark highlighted what Jesus did more than what he said. And so that's what we're going to see this morning as we um, as we gather together. Practically, um, may we all grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's dig in. Power over creation. First one we deal with this morning. This is in Mark 4, 35 through um, 41. Um, And so Jesus and his disciples um, take a boat ride across the Sea of Galilee. Just to set the scene for you, uh, Jesus had been teaching by the sea, and there was such a large crowd there that he actually had gotten into a boat and was teaching the people from the sea. And so while they're in that boat, he tells his disciples, we need to go to the other side. And so while on their way, as you well know, um, they're met with a fierce scale of wind and waves. In fact, they were so bad that um, the waves were actually filling the boat and the boat was sinking. The disciples who find themselves in a hopeless situation, naturally, you know, these are professional fishermen, but now their fear is that they are drowning. And so they go to Jesus, and what is Jesus doing? He's asleep. And they say, Teacher, this is in verse 38, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Jesus responds by getting up, rebuking the wind, and said to the sea, Hush, be still. The sea and the wind respond to the voice of its master. And these winds, which some say were at hurricane strength, were still And there's flat water. Jesus responds with a question of his own. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And we may think of this as a little bit of a rebuke from Jesus. I don't think that is so. I think Jesus here again is showing his grace, his mercy, his tenderness in approaching these men with this question. Basically saying, you know, Guys, after all you've heard and witnessed, have they not taught you anything? Have they not taught you anything? And, you know, Jesus is saying you should be further along than you actually are. You know what? And why do I say that? Because in the previous verses here, even in Mark 4, you know, Jesus, um, the disciples, Jesus would teach in parables, but he would always bring his disciples back in secret. And privately, and talked to them about what he just said. He was teaching them those very things. And he gave them opportunities to grow and believe that he didn't give the other people. You know, beyond the crowds. You know, had they taken advantage of it? Had they taken advantage of it? And I, you know, I think of my own self, and um, I asked this question before us today. How many of us should be further along than we actually are? Have we taken every opportunity to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Also, off the back of my mind, it also came up, uh, came up this verse in Hebrews where it says, you know... Um, you should be taking solid food now, but you know, I'm still having to feed you milk. I'm still having to feed you milk. But now one other thing we see in verse 41 is that the disciples actually are more afraid now than they were in the storm. And what's the reason of that? So I think all of, all of a sudden these men finally realize or who they were in the presence of. They were in the presence of holiness. They were in the presence of someone greater than they thought. And, you know, it happened. We have examples um, in the Old Testament and New Testament, but it happened to Isaiah in chapter 6. A couple of weeks ago, Noah read this in time of worship. But, you know, um, when he was in the presence of God, when Isaiah was in the presence of God, his response was, woe is me, for I am ruined. I am undone. Peter had a similar experience on a fishing trip one time with Jesus and he hadn't caught anything. And Jesus says, throw your net on the other side. And there was this miraculous catch of fish. And Peter's response was, go away from me, Lord, for I am a simple man, O Lord. So we see the disciples fearful. but We also see that the sea has no ears, obey his command. And winds that have no knowledge at all. Know enough to stop blowing when he says, be still. You know, Scripture is clear about Jesus and not having all power. He created it He controls it. A couple examples, John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word, and that word means Jesus. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Colossians 1.16, by him, that is Christ, all things were created both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. So we see Jesus as having all power here over creation. As a little side note, I always cringe when I hear somebody say Mother Nature. I mean, there is no grandmother little figure behind the scenes controlling nature. It's our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we leave this section, though, one thing that kind of jumps out at me is this question the disciples asked back in verse 38, 438. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Have you ever asked that question? Kind of makes you wiggle a little bit, doesn't it? Or maybe I could phrase it like this. How, how are you thinking about the Lord recently? You know, These disciples did, and they did so, and we understand the situation. Under disre- duress, um, they were staring de- death in the face. But Jesus did not rebuke them for their question of don't you care. You know, maybe we have not asked that exact question. Um, I'll use those exact words. Maybe it's something like, Lord, what are you doing? Um, Can't you see what's happening here? Um, Can't take much more of this. Um, Why did you let that happen? And I would have to say I have asked, asked those questions. And I think... If you were being honest this morning, you would probably nod your head and say, yes, I have, at least thought it or at least mumble it on your breath. And it's a question just like the disciples' question. It's one made out of du- under duress, you know, des- desperation, spiritual, physical, and emotional exhaustion. Hopelessness, especially when time lingers on from days to months to years. And nothing changes. Those circumstances change. In fact, they may get worse. You know, questions we may have come up with you know, Lord, my child is sick and has been sick for so long. You know, my marriage has fallen apart. Will the pain ever stop? I've lost my job. I have no money. My spouse has died. I'm all alone. My loved one is yet to be saved. You know, if if it is any comfort, the psalmist had similar feelings, and we certainly could go to them and commiserate with them. (laughs) Psalm ten one why do you stand far off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 44, verses 23 and 24, arouse yourself. Why do you sleep, Lord? Why do you hide your face? You know, when, I, when I'm feeling this way or when you're feeling this way, and for me personally, it means that I'm my feelings are overtaking trust in what I actually believe in my heart. You know, Jesus cares more than we can imagine, and we know we, know we only have to look to the cross to, to know the answer to this question. You know, in my study here, a um, little uh, Bible app I use, um, I went in and, and uh, typed in God's love. there were over 6,000 responses in the Bible to God's love. So, need we say any more um, about that? You know, immediately it came to my mind when I think about these things, as Roman tells us, that God demonstrates His love, you know, to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, who did not spare His own Son, but yet gave Him up for us all, how will He not also give us all things? Just Two right off the top of my head. The two things I think we need to understand here. Storms, one, storms often expose how we do not trust the Lord as we should. Unfortunately, storms are essential for growth. Second is this. it's, It's in the most disturbing and painful times of our lives that we really get to know who Jesus is. It was with those disciples, they began to know who they were in the presence of and the power and the tenderness of this man. You know, the Lord's compassion is not measured by our circumstances, nor His kindness limited to our understanding. You know, God's sovereign purposes are being worked out in our lives. 2 Corinthians 4.18, our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Our suffering is not meaningless. It's doing something in our lives. It's producing an eternal weight of glory. So as we continue through these messages this morning, we're going to see exactly how much Jesus did care. Um, let's move on to chapter 5. We'll take uh, Mark 5, 1 through 20. This, this we will see is power over demons. According to verse 1, Jesus and his disciples make it to the other side. This is the country of the Gergesenes. This is Gentile country. Um, and the Jews would avoid such areas as this because it made life a little complicated for them. And at once, as Jesus gets out of the boat, he is met with an unclean spirit. A man with an unclean spirit, I should say, synonymous to demon possession. In fact, J- Jesus, as um, soon as he gets out of the boat, this demoniac runs up to him. And Jesus asks him his name. And the response was, from the demon-possessed man, was legion. We see that in verse 9. Um, you know, we understand a legion is described as a Roman army consisting of three to 6,000 Men, I don't literally think that this man, it could be, I'll stand corrected, but I don't think literally this man had three to six thousand demons within him, but I think it just shows the depth of this man's misery and hopelessness. We could easily say this man was in bad shape. He was hopeless against this multitude of demons. He would be hopeless against one demon, and so would we. Scripture says he was beyond submission. They had tried everything to subdue him. Nothing, nothing worked. Um, so no one or anything could subdue him. But when he see what well, he sees, Jesus, and he falls down before Jesus. And according to verse 7, calls Jesus exactly who he is. The son of the most high God. You know, men at times will deny Jesus. It's an indictment on us. Men at times will deny Jesus, but the demons will not. They know who they are dealing with. And I think it's just a little strange if you notice the men in the boat. Who is this? That even the sea and the wind obey him? They're not sure yet, but the demons have no problem recognizing Jesus at all. So all of a sudden, this man who was uncontrollable is suddenly is is controlled. You know, Jesus orders the demons out of the man, and we see the demons ask Jesus to send them into um, this herd of swines. Verse 12 reveals, and Jesus obliges. So the demons enter the swine, and off they run and did a swine dive into the sea and drowned. You're listening. Thank you. You caught that. So here the power of Jesus over the demonic world. Is on full is in full display. Here, let me bolster this with these verses. This is one we don't read quite enough. First John three eight, the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. John twelve thirty one, Jesus declares the rule of this world is cast out. John sixteen eleven, the rule of this world is judged. Romans sixteen twenty, the God of peace. We'll soon crush Satan under your feet. Satan's power is very limited. And his power is on a collision course with Jesus Christ. It will someday come to naught at all. I Also want to focus this morning on two responses that we get from um, this miracle. One is from the people of the city and one is from the man who was possessed by demons. First, the people from the city—they respond. You know, they are in fear and they want Jesus to leave. Um, and I think their fear comes from, again, who is this who can command demons, and they flee. And the same kind of fear that the disciples had. But I also think here, um, Jesus—they want him to leave because Jesus is actually messing up their uh, their livelihood. You know, in so many words, Jesus is cramping their style. Jesus must leave, and the sooner the better. Like I said, he was disturbing their lifestyle. He he, he disturbed their familiar mode of life. They can't really do what they want to do with Jesus around. The same is very true today. People can't live the way they want to live or can't do whatever they want to do because Jesus' presence reveals sin. Jesus will expose the darkness. You know, these town people basically demonstrated that Satan was more welcome than Jesus. Can you imagine that? But? How often is that repeated in our own day and age? Even to our very own day, evil is more welcomed. This verse perfectly explains this situation and explains our day also. John three nineteen, very familiar. This is a judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Heal man responded totally opposite of the crowd. He wanted to leave with Jesus, but Jesus had a better idea for him. And we read in verse 19, go home and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. You know, Jesus here again, responding out of grace, mercy and kindness um, to a people that had just rejected him. He sends them a missionary or a preacher, if you will. Brings the question up, how much training do we need in order to be a witness for Christ? I think only that you have met Jesus and he has done a work and is doing a work and continues to do a work in your life. Jesus says, go and tell. That's what he says to this man and that's what he says to us. Go and tell what great things the Lord has done for you. You know, this man obeyed and... Scripture tells us the listeners were amazed. So, as we shift here to another um, final two stories here, that you know the story now changes from "Please go away" to "Please come." And so, we'll start here in verse 25, and we see here power over sickness. Mark 25 through 34. In the next two stories, we're going to meet two people with entirely different backgrounds. They have no reason to know each other, but they do share their story in Scripture as they look to Jesus. But I want us to listen to the contrast here. We have one man and one woman, one respected, one rejected, one honored, one ashamed, one leading the synagogue and the other rejected from the synagogue. One with a 12-year-old daughter who is dying the other with a 12-year disease or suffering of an incurable disease. And Jesus once again makes it to the other side. He is once again met by a large crowd, which is usual. And in this synagogue, a ruler named Jairus meets him, and in verse 23, falls at his feet humbly and desperate, and asks that he come and lay his hands on his little daughter who is dying. And Jesus responds by going with him. I think it's helpful to us to understand what a synagogue ruler was or is. Um, And he was a man or he was a caretaker or overseer of the synagogue. Basically, he ran the day-to-day operations of the synagogue. He set the services up and all this type of thing. He was not a Pharisee or a Sadducee. But he would be and had to be a well-respected man in the community. And also, one thing here about bowing the knee in Jesus in a public place was probably a no-no for him because of the religious crowd that he hung with, and he had to keep up appearances. But something more was going on in his life, and that was his daughter was dying, and so he's looking to Jesus. But as we notice here in Scripture this morning now, an interruption occurs. We find in verse 25, a woman in a hopeless and incurable condition, basically a bleeding disorder for 12 years and had only gotten worse, came up through the crowd and touches Jesus' cloak. I want us to notice here, please, um, Jesus' interruptible and indiscriminate nature. Jesus over and over and over again in his ministry was interrupted. I have to ask myself a question I'll ask you. How well do we do with interruption? Not well do we. You know, society wise, Jairus was a very important man. This woman was not. And we need to realize this woman's condition along with this disorder. You know, for 12 years, she has suffered not only physically, but she has suffered socially. If you understand anything about the Old Testament, this disease left her, you know, unclean. She was unclean. Certainly the embarrassment, certainly being an outcast. She could not enter the synagogue. She could not go out in public. And if she's unclean, everyone she gets around or touches is unclean. So those of us that knew about her, well, I'm sure had a wide path, they kept away from her. But think of the courage she had along with the desperation. This is my last chance. I bet she was say this is it. To approach Jesus even in this furtive manner. Verse 28 tells us our thoughts. If I just touch his garments, I will get well. She does, and so is healed instantly. So Jesus is not impersonal. In fact, verse 30 says he felt the power proceed from him. So Jesus draws her out of the crowd. And he doesn't do this to embarrass her, but he's doing this to pursue her. You know, Jesus has a very personal response to her personal faith verse 34 we read of the tenderness of Jesus here daughter your faith has made you well go in peace and be healed of your affliction she has had 12 years of suffering and no peace and now in an instant no suffering and nothing but peace You know, Jesus calls her daughter, and that is a sweet, sweet term of endearment that he's using here. You know, she's been restored back to the synagogue now. She's been restored back to her family. She's been restored back to her family. But most important, she's restored to God. And finally, power over death. Pick it up here in verse 35. You know, the interruption proves to be deadly. In fact, verse 35 says, Your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher anymore? All hope is now gone for this man. It's useless to continue on. His daughter is dead just the facts that's just what it is before we go any further in in this i I want us to briefly just discuss the title of teacher given here um certainly disciples addressed him this way also in the sinking boat but it is an appropriate title it is a correct title of jesus jesus is the teacher of the gospel and he's much more than a miracle worker You know, his message is more important than his miracles. His miracles were important, but his message was of most importance. The gospel is what he brought. And that was the purpose of his coming to bring forth the kingdom of God, to bring forth the gospel. The kingdom of God is in your midst. But here again, as I I do, I personally ask this question of myself. You know, how about you? How do we find the message of Jesus today? Do we find it as critical? Is it of most importance to us? More than anything else, more than anything else is going on in our lives, is the message of Jesus most critical? And I think that's when we get into trouble and we start asking this question, don't you care? Because we allow ourselves to drift back to this thought of, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately? And I think these, this type of questioning in our minds or even through our lips um, brings the big question, don't you care? Don't you care? But let's continue. Jesus responds to Jairus' um, hopelessness in verse 36. He says, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. Jesus is saying the same to us today. You know, if you're feeling hopeless, he's saying, don't let fear reign in your heart. He says, he's saying, trust me with your illness. Trust me with your struggling marriage, your lost ones, your loved lost ones. Trust me with your pain, your loneliness, your job, your lack of money. Jesus is saying here, yes, I do care. You are dearly loved by me. He's telling us, believe in me and trust me. I have all power as we are seeing. But I have a very, very tender love for you. Jesus then chooses three disciples and heads to Jairus' home with Jairus and tow. And when Jesus arrives, the funeral is in full swing. And I think this just further proves that um, this little girl had died. You know, Jesus makes this declaration in verse 39. He says, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. Pastor John MacArthur says, in that moment, Jesus defines death as a temporary condition. Sleep is a temporary condition. Jesus says, she's asleep, it's not permanent. First Thessalonians 4.14 bears witness for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Verse 41 and to the end of the chapter, once again, we see the tenderness of Jesus revealed. Jesus takes the child by the hand and says, little girl, I say to you, get up. She immediately gets up and starts walking around. There's no rehabilitation needed here. She is healed completely. No other voice could call her from her deathbed but Jesus' voice. People, as expected, are astounded. And Jesus, in his tender way, says that she needs something to eat. So, what have we learned this day from these scriptures? What can we take home with us? You know, basically, man is hopeless to tame nature or sends demons, or send demons fleeing. Man is hopeless to cure an incurable disease. And no one in all the universe is able to raise someone from the dead. But Jesus did all of this. He commands all of nature. Demons shudder and flee at his command. There is no sickness, there is no death that he has not overcome. You know, Jesus' character we have seen is in is on full display with his his compassion, his sympathy, sympathy, his tenderness. He is access, accessible. As we've seen, he is interruptible. He is unstoppable. Character traits we all would do well to emulate again. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, be imitators of God, beloved children. Isn't that isn't it kind of while there, be imitators of God? You have the Holy Spirit with you. Be imitators of God, beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And one more thing as we close today, and I kind of want you to take to mind. um, Three times, actually, in these stories or in these narratives, um, this little three-word phrase comes up, the other side, the other side. You know, the other side for Jesus uh, led him into a hurricane, large crowds following him, to people laughing at him, to exhaustion. But he kept going. And so I, ha- I have to ask us again today, um, personally, what is our other side? Is there a place that we know that will cause us to become exhausted? People will laugh at us? Um We may get interrupted. um, That will lead us where we hadn't planned on going that day. You know, your other side could be miles away or it could be across the street, the grocery line, at work, wherever. You know, with that, I'm reminded of an article that I read not too long ago by John Piper. He's the pastor or was the pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church. For 33 years in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And if you've been listening to the news any, you know Minneapolis, Minnesota has not been a good place to be for several months. But he purposely lived in a neighborhood near his church. And he had two reasons for doing that. One reason was he wanted to be able to walk to work. Very simple reason. But the other reason is the most important one, he says. He wanted to be near the people in that neighborhood. Where that church was planted, he wanted to be in that neighborhood. And he says because of his decision there, he's been the victim of larcenies, burglaries, and other crimes, trespassers, you name it. He says even more now so, the riots that have occurred in Minneapolis. He said he could stand in his house and look out the window and see the flames of the buildings being burned. But he also says he has no desire to move. And he says, this is the scripture that I live by. 1 Peter two, nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. I ask us today to strive to do other side living, to go and tell as Jesus said, as go and tell. And may God bless his words to us today. Amen.